today from the global lane. Nigeria Christians like sheep to the slaughter. Is it genocide? Also imprisoned with ISIS in Sudan. I could even pray for those who were actually beating me, slandering me, torturing me. Black lives matter. But what do the organization's leaders really believe? They have to destroy God and they're Marxists. TikTok embarrasses President Trump in Tulsa. Who is behind the app that is posing a threat to U.S. national security? Get rid of it all, including Jesus. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. A new report out of the U.K. is sounding the alarm about the potential genocide of Christians in Nigeria. A coalition of British parliamentarians launched an extensive study into violence there and found that Islamist Fulani herdsmen killed more than 1,000 Christians last year and 6,000 since 2015. Well, joining us with more from Prague is Peter Yashik. Mr. Yashik served in Nigeria for the Voice of the Martyrs, and he spent 15 months in prison in Sudan for helping persecuted Christians in that country. He currently serves as VOM's global ambassador and is author of the new book, Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. Peter, it's so good to see you again, my friend. So before we discuss your book, ISIS committed genocide against Christians in Syria and Iraq. Now it looks like we're getting very close to a similar situation in Nigeria. Now, for those who haven't been following this, who's attacking the Christians there and why? You know, I have been in Nigeria probably more than 30 times in the last um, 15, 20 years. And I can say that the situation was really bad uh, much earlier than it is now being recognized. But certainly Christians are being attacked uh, by several groups. Uh, one of them is definitely Boko Haram, which uh, considers uh, to be some kind of like a, a branch of ISIS or sympathizing with ISIS. And certainly, you know, there are other Muslim extremist group, uh, definitely in the north, the Fulani herdsmen, you know, that are uh, sometimes using uh, different excuses why to attack uh, uh, Christians. And uh, unfortunately, the secular media are uh, quite often biased and trying to present this as a tribal conflict rather than religious. But I'm glad, actually, that uh, this um, uh, genocide or this killing of so many Christians is uh, uh, raise it, uh, the uh, increased awareness of that actually even in uh, uh, Europe. And that is uh, a good news in one sense. Yeah, that was a significant report. Now, do you believe it's genocide? And if so, what should we do about it? Uh, you know, I would say that um, there were many Christians uh, being killed in a very brutal way. Uh, I'm not an expert, you know, what is, you know, called genocide, but they're just killing our brothers and sisters there. So, and uh, in one sense, uh, I would say maybe it has reached already with the large numbers, and especially, you know, in the uh, coronavirus situation where Christians are some, um, in a situation where they are locked down in their houses and they're not uh, even able to escape somehow. I would say that uh, it is uh, especially uh, dangerous and especially cruel. And I would say that this is, uh, very close to what the secular media would call a genocide. Now to your book, Peter. I can't imagine being in prison with ISIS jihadists in Sudan, especially with them discovering that you're a Christian. Now, we've talked before, but what was the hardest part of your time in prison there? 
Uh, definitely the first two months when I was with the ISIS fighters, you know, highly educated people uh, from various countries uh, who age-wise could be my own children. And of course, you know, I think uh, that was the place where I learned the hardest lesson, you know, that the Lord's strengths can be revealed in my weakness. You know, having lost 55 pounds within the first three months and then within the first month losing nearly half of my blood when I was extremely weak, but I could still, the Lord gave me in this weakness, a physical and emotional weakness, he gave me the strength to share the gospel with these enemies of the gospel. And I think this was a wonderful thing. Uh, the Lord Jesus said, but I said, as I said to you, love your enemies, Matthew 5, 44, and pray for those who persecute you. I could even pray for those who were actually, uh, you know, beating me, slandering me, torturing me. I think that's the grace from the Lord that in this situation, and this is the situation of the Christians in Nigeria, they still are loving their persecutors, they're uh, loving their enemies, and they're praying for them. That's uh, something that is unique on Christianity. That's the only religion that is teaching its followers to love their enemies. And why can they uh, endure that? Because they do not focus on this earthly life, and they focus on the eternal life. They, uh, they can say together with Paul that this light momentary um, suffering is not worth comparing with the future glory that is expecting them. And Peter, did you ever feel your life was in danger? And if so, how did you deal with that? Absolutely. My, I, you know, I was at first uh, concerned about my mental health when I was being uh, beaten by them. And, you know, I was uh, not able to read the Bible. They were reading Quran. You know, I was amidst of the enemies in a crowded cell. Uh, at that time, I was concerned about my mental health, you know, that, and I was praying literally and asking the Lord to give me the strength and give me the uh, protect my sound mind. But later on, when I was transferred to the next prison where we were squeezed sometimes more than 50 people in one small room, about 25 square meters, very hot, you know, and a meager food. At that time, I was seriously doubting whether I will survive, but I trusted the Lord. And once he showed me what was the purpose for me to do, to share the gospel and to see that the Holy Spirit was touching people's hearts, that was a life-changing moment for my situation in prison. And I started to uh, bear, uh, you know, to uh, cope with the situation in a much better way. And finally, Peter, what's the takeaway from your book? What would you like people to uh, leave with after reading it? Uh, we serve a sovereign Lord and who, uh, you know, allows us to go through persecution. By the way, persecution is an essential part of a Christian life. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I believe that it will uh, prepare the Christianity and the believers you know, for persecution, and that they will, uh, you know, uh, see that the Lord is faithful to those who rely on Him in situations like that. But I also believe that it will spread, help to spread the gospel, because I have already uh, here heard uh, testimonies of uh, people who were not committed believers, maybe they were not even believers, but after having read my book, you know, uh, some of them decided to commit fully their lives to Jesus. And that's a wonderful, uh, encouraging message for me as well. And your pastor father would be proud of that, would he not? From Prague, Peter Yashik, author of the new book, In Prison with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. Peter, where can people get a copy? 
Amazon or Barnes and Noble, but they can also contact the uh, persecution.com, VOM's, uh, uh, you know, internet uh, website, and they can get information there as well. God bless you. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you. God bless you, too. What began in late May as protests against police brutality and injustice for George Floyd quickly morphed into a social movement demanding change. But the type of change now being advanced would radically transform, if not eliminate, American democracy. Critics of the Black Lives Matters movement say the group is silencing dissent and is ignoring facts to advance an anti-capitalistic agenda. Appearing on The Real News Network, Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors admits the group has a leftist ideology bent and purpose. Myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. We are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. And I think that what we really try to do is build a movement that could be utilized by many, many black folk. Well, here to explain what is happening and how the Democratic Party has embraced this Marxist movement is Vince Everett Ellison. Mr. Ellison is author of the book, The Iron Triangle, inside the liberal Democrat plan to use race to divide Christians and America in their quest for power and how we can defeat them. That's a long title, Vince. Well, you're here to set us straight on this. So most Americans, I would think, support change to bring greater equality and justice for African-Americans. But I don't think it's Marxism that they want. So why is the Democratic Party now embracing this Marxist Black Lives Matter movement? Well, in the 60s, as you know, the civil rights movement had Marxists and uh, communists all in it. Matter of fact, when Martin Luther King gave his great speech, I Have a Dream, he said that um, 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Negro is still not free. Well, that was not true because I was born free. Uh, God gave me my freedom. He said also that we come to government to get our unalienable rights. Well, based on John Locke's second treaty of government, uh, your unalienable rights are, have, are given to you from God, not government. They're irrevocable, non-transferable, unsellable. So these people have to destroy God in America to bring forth their movement. And their movement is to put government in charge of everything. It's statism. And, it, and, and, and since our, our whole theory of government is based upon our rights coming from God, not from government. They have to destroy God. And they're Marxists. And they've always been this way. That's why they can uh, kill babies in the womb. This is why they can uh, steal money from their citizens. This is why they can uh, destroy ghettos and destroy families and oppress uh, uh, LGBTQ, because they don't believe in the basic standards of Christi Christi Christian religion as we do. Vince, it seems that the Democratic Party is now embracing this extremism. But it has a long history of anti-black activity, starting with slavery, the Civil War, opposition to the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments to the Constitution, then the creation of the Ku Klux Klan. Now, some people wonder why the Democratic Party receives so much black support. Don't most African-American voters know the history, or has the party changed? It hasn't changed. The Democratic Party has always been very good at uh, fighting compromised black people to run interference for them. I call this group the Iron Triangle. Most black politicians, most black preachers, and most black civic organizers. I learned about these guys when I was working in the prison system for about five years, and I resigned. You know, the black intelligentsia was telling me that these black men were being locked up. 
because of white, rich Republicans. When I went down to the black community, I saw no white, rich Republicans. I can see a leprechaun before I saw one. I saw a lot of black Democrats in these three entities, the Iron Triangle. That's why, that's why I call my book The Iron Triangle. Most black preachers, most black politicians, and most black civic organizers, like Black Lives Matter, was making a lot of money off the chaos. And they were contractors for these uh, rich white liberals from New York and for California. Their job was to do one thing, get the black vote for the Democrat Party so they can remain in power. 90% of the black vote, they have to have it or they're done. And they do not care how they get it. They will oppress, they will miseducate, they will control with drugs, they'll do whatever they have to do to keep the black community under their control. And they've done it since 1800. Well, it seems like there's a big effort to divide people, turn black Americans against Donald Trump. Now, you know a Rasmussen poll uh, taken earlier this month found black approval of the president at 41 percent. And candidate Trump received about, I think it was 8 percent of the black vote in 2016. How do you think he's going to fare with black voters in November? He's going to do fine because Donald Trump is the first Republican president to talk directly to the black community since Abraham Lincoln went to Richmond in 1865. The left is trying to get America to live in condemnation. America has repented. And matter of fact, it's paid close to a million lives in the Civil War, close to $22 trillion since the Great Society. When they come to a white Christian again and talk about white supremacy or talk about white privilege, I hope that this white Christian will say to you that you are a slave looking for a master and I refuse to be your master. You're as good as I am and I will not carry your burden. I will help you achieve whatever you want. You will not blame me for your wretchedness. We have to stop allowing them to make us live in condemnation. And let's not forget Joe Biden is popular with black voters. He received more than black candidates Kamala Harris, Cory Booker in the early Democratic primary. So some political observers say, Vince, that that's because he was Barack Obama's vice president. But will that be enough for Biden to win over more black voters than Hillary Clinton did in 2016? No. Joe, Joe Biden is an old Dixiecrat. You know, he, he um, passed the Clinton crime bill uh, that locked up millions of black men. He's fought against school choice. Donald Trump's for it. School choice will get these black children out of these failing schools. He wants to uh, provide abortion free of charge up until the ninth month. Trump is pro-life. Black people in the inner city say they're being hunted by police, and they say they're being hunted by gangs. Joe Biden's solution, take their guns away and give them over to the police that they say are hunting them. The Democrat Party is a death cult, and they are conducting a cultural genocide in black America right now. We are starting to recognize it, and this is why you see the rioting. This is why you see the looting. This is why you see them destroying their own communities, because the Democratic Party lied. They said, if you give me, your children will educate you. Educate them. They lied. If you put out your men, we'll provide for you. They lied. If you give us your guns, we'll protect you. They lied. And the people are tired of the lying, but we have to show up and give them an alternative, because right now they only have two, a liberal and an ultra-liberal. And we got to change that. It is our time to be the Good Samaritan, and it's, good. it's time for Christian conservatives to go back down there and grab our fellow Christian conservatives by the hand and bring them home. Okay, the book is The Iron Triangle, Inside the Liberal Democrat Plan to Use Race to Divide Christians and America in Their Quest for Power and How We Can Defeat Them. Vince Everett Ellison, thank you for your insights. Thank you. Thank you so very much. I'm a fan. Thank you. One million people signed up to attend President Trump's rally in Tulsa. But once the rally was held inside the arena, only as many as 12,000 people showed up. The video sharing app TikTok received much of the blame. 
Apparently, many young people or bots use the app to request tickets with no intention of attending the rally, all designed to embarrass the president. Well, here to set it straight about this and to explain more about how apps like TikTok may influence the 2020 presidential election is Ash Kazarian. Ms. Kazarian is Director of Civil Liberties at Tech Freedom and also a contributor for Young Voices. Ash, it's good to have you here. So tell us a little bit about TikTok. Who owns it? How is it being used? Thank you for having me. TikTok is a company that has seen an immense growth, especially in 2020 during quarantine. And it is owned by a Chinese parent company, ByteDance. Um, at the same time, the last two years TikTok spent uh, completely denying its Chinese connections, even though evidence was amounting over and over again. Uh, they refused to testify in Senate, saying that their executives are based in Beijing. At the same time, they said they're not a Chinese company. Then their lawyers told New York Times that they're not a Chinese company because they're incorporated in the Cayman Islands. Things like that kept happening over and over again. And I write about it in the American Conservatives, all the evidence that we have right now, and we keep getting more every day. So to, you know, at this point, TikTok is telling us, who do you believe, your eyes or me? So maybe a little uh, nefarious uh, situation there with the whole bots and uh, TikTok being used with the tickets. I guess there's a bill in the New York Senate to ban TikTok from being downloaded by state employees and parts of the U.S. government have banned its use. Why is that? Yes. So um, as for the rally, uh, you know, we've seen online shenanigans from young people on our platforms before. What's different is the use of TikTok that is owned by a Chinese company. And it is a national security threat, as you mentioned. Uh, U.S. Army and Navy actually uh, banned its um, active members from downloading the app because there are serious national security concerns. While TikTok keeps uh, dismissing all of its concerns and saying that they don't store U.S. citizens' data in China and they store it outside of China and in the U.S. Uh, on U.S. servers, they, uh, at the same time, in their um, privacy disclosure, right, uh, in their agreement, they say, well, we have to comply with Chinese laws. And Chinese laws, basically, uh, they demand any disclosure, full submission, you have to cooperate with the Chinese government. The CEO of ByteDance, the parent company, has written letters reassuring uh, their cooperation with the China's Communist Party. This has to be extremely alarming to everyone in the United States, and especially to parents who allow their kids to be on TikTok. Well, I know there are concerns about TikTok and other social media platforms being used to influence voters this coming fall. Now, maybe in a, uh, perhaps even interfere in the U.S. election. So tell us about that. When we talk about social media platforms, uh, we have to understand that, um, especially the U.S. companies, I mean, they are platforms that exist. There are tools that exist that then are used by bad actors. Um, the problem with TikTok is that it basically merges the bad actor and the platform. You have China, obviously, who has their own uh, foreign policy interests that don't align with the United States. And then they have kind of a grip on TikTok. So we should be very worried on what they can do, especially because amount of data that TikTok collects um, is immense. Uh, there is this lawsuit in Illinois, I believe, where the plaintiff alleges that she downloaded the app, but she didn't create an account, and the app was still recording her keystrokes, how she was using her phone, 
all of this data, but she didn't even, you know, check the mark and say, okay, I give you all of my information. Well, it's definitely something to keep an eye on as we get closer to the election because the Chinese very much want to influence our election. Okay, Ash Kazarian of Tech Freedom, thank you for being with us today and setting us straight. Thank you for having me. What are the leftists of the Black Lives Matter movement really after? They say they want equality and social justice, but what they really want is to get rid of Donald Trump and transform America into the country that only they envision and no one else wants. So the tearing down of America begins with duping young, naive Americans into joining them. First, they demand that police departments be defunded and abolished as they vandalize and dismantled Confederate statues. Then they do the same to statues of American presidents, including war hero generals, Presidents Washington, Jackson, and Grant. But because BLM is rooted in Marxism, it is also anti-Christian. Now BLM backer Sean King is calling for Jesus to be removed from the public square. In two recent tweets, King said, quote, I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They're a form of white supremacy, always have been. And they're not stopping at statues. King went on to tweet, quote, all murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should also come down. They are a gross form of white supremacy created as tools of oppression, racist propaganda. They should all come down. Well, folks, this is really what it's all about for Marxists. Christians must resist. Equality and justice, yes, that is godly, but BLM Marxism is not. An antichrist spirit is advancing today in America. The idea is to destroy Christianity and ultimately destroy Christ. Unlike the Asherah poles of the Old Testament, you can destroy the statues, but that won't erase the sin of slavery. You can destroy the police, but that doesn't destroy the law. You can also destroy depictions of Christ, but you cannot destroy Jesus or his eternal love for all of us. That was tried before, 2,000 years ago, remember? But take note, he overcame the grave, and America will overcome this threat. But we've got to stand up, speak out, and keep praying. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.